You're listening to City Beat, a partnership between Riverwest Radio and online daily, UrbanMilwaukee.com. I'm your host, Jeremy Janine, president and co-founder of Urban Milwaukee, and today we will spend the next half hour looking over recent news affecting Milwaukee. We'll touch on a new restaurant that has been years in the making, and another that after 24 years is sadly closing. We'll discuss a new apartment project that includes an electrical substation in its base, and we will look at how the Michaels Corporation River One proposal has become both bigger while the subsidy for it has become smaller. We'll end the show with a pedestrian observation about the need to embrace adaptive reuse as a way to preserve our historic buildings. But before we do any of that, we will discuss a wide range of innovative projects with developer Tim Gockman. Stay with us. Tim Gockman serves as director of Newland Enterprises, and while the firm really made its name developing apartments and condominiums on Milwaukee's Lower East Side, Tim and the team at Newland are really broadening the scope of the company by branching into everything from food halls to a number of interesting new building technologies. Tim Gockman, welcome to CityBeat. Thanks, Jamie. Let's start with a question about your health, because I, I know it's of issue at the moment. With Monday's opening of the Crossroads Collective Food Hall, how much sleep have you got in the past week? Uh, for the week, cumulative. Are we in double digits, hopefully? I think we're in low double digits. That's accurate. <laughs> now, now uh, let us know, uh, t- I guess, tell us about Crossroads Collective. What is it? Where is it? And, you know, what makes it unique versus what's been there before? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> so Crossroads Collective is a multi-restaurant food hall. And uh, I know that food halls are a little bit new to Milwaukee uh, in the purest definition of the term. So uh, a lot of people ask the question of whether it's similar to a public market or to food courts, and the answer is yes and no. Um, I think the roots are the same. The main difference that you'll see in food halls is that all of the concepts are local, and specifically with us, uh, we call ourselves a micro food hall, and that refers to a subset of food halls that are under 10,000 square feet. And so the, the, the size of the stalls is, is one of the main differences. And you would compare this, I think, to, to what you would see at a food truck or you would expect it at a food truck size-wise. Now, the offerings of the menus are a little bit more sophisticated and a little bit expanded over a food truck, but that's kind of the idea. So if you imagine eight micro-restaurants under one roof, that's what a food hall is. And and where can the public go to see this? Because it, it opened Monday. Where is it? Uh, it is located at the six-point intersection of North, Farwell, Ivanhoe, uh, and Murray. And, and this is quite a departure from what's been there before. We had Rosati's. There was a, a couple of restaurants before that. Now you've branched into really bringing in a lot of restaurants, but in a you know, as you touched on, kind of a micro format for them. What led you to make that change? Uh, they say necessity is the mother of invention. So the the history of that space is we've owned the building since 2002. And so we when we bought the building, uh, Oriental Drugs was already long gone. Ultimately, Twisted Fork came in there. And Twisted Fork actually had a pretty good run. It, it was in there for seven years. Some would argue Twisted Fork was slightly ahead of its time. And after seven years, the ownership group rebranded it, and that's what became Replay. And I think a lot of people don't know that Replay and Twisted Fork were actually the same owners. But Replay went for approximately three years, and after that 10-year term, we got the space back. 
we uh, rented it to Rosati's, um, and that execution did not go well. We got the space back again about 18 months later. Rosati's closed in March of 2017. And we were sitting there with a the space. It's a large space for a single restaurant, 7,000 square feet, on a very prominent corner. We wanted it to be something special. Um, there were only a handful of restaurant operators that could really do it justice, and for one reason or the other, those people weren't able to operate it. Um, and I had a couple of very smart people give me some pointers. Kevin Schmolt from MLG was my biggest influence, told me to go check out Revival in Chicago. And that's how my uh, <laughs> path to discovering food halls started. And so I traveled to New York and I traveled to Chicago, Denver, Seattle, did a lot of research, looked at a lot of different food halls, and we came up with our own model. And that's how Crossroads was born. So when we look at it, you know, a year from now, and I've gained 10 pounds from eating there so much, I have my middle school classmate, Kevin Schmoltz, to blame. That's good to know where I can point the finger. Uh, you mentioned Revival Food Hall in Chicago. Do you have a sense of how big that is compared? Because I've been there, and it strikes me yeah. as substantially larger than what you have. How do you look at the idea of, like, how do you scale it down? Because how big is Revival Food Hall? Revival's got to be about 25,000 feet. So it's, it's huge. Yeah, it, it's Revival has, I believe, about 20 vendors. So, yes, yeah, significantly larger. Really what Revival uh, led us down the path uh, of was whether we have a top-down or a decentralized model. And what I mean by that is for those who are familiar with, say, Italy or Latinicity um, or the milk market in Denver, those, those are food halls that are programmed top-down. So they typically have a chef, maybe a celebrity chef at the top, and they come up with 8, 10, 12 different concepts. But at the end of the day, it's all programmed by the same person, by the same corporation. Revival is decentralized, meaning that they run the space, they run the logistics, but each vendor is its own separate business. And we like that energy and diversity a lot more. And that's the model we followed. Is, is that what you intended to follow from the get-go? Because I remember you announced Justin Carlyle uh, from Ardent as a partner on this. And uh, what, what is his role today in the project? Justin, uh, Justin has been a huge help in, in really bouncing all restaurant-related ideas off of, but they, their role was consulting us on uh, vendor mix and basic things that I had no clue about, like what sizes kitchens should be and how much cold storage is needed and dry storage and logistics of taking trash out, hours of operation, etc. So um, Justin was good enough to, uh, to come along with me and um, look at some different food halls and help me develop the model. And so parents aren't supposed to have favorite kids, and I assume developers aren't supposed to have favorite tenants, but what's the best thing you've eaten so far? I, I will, I, 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 I don't even know how to, <laughs> I promise you, I guarantee you, I honestly do not have a favorite. It really, really depends on um, what you're looking to have and what you're in the mood for. The um, we always talk about Crossroads as being um, the foodiest food hall, and I know that foodiest is not a word, but um, but we're making it one. Of all the food halls that I have seen in the country, I have not seen a single one that comes remotely close to the quality of food that we have at Crossroads. Typically, the program at a food hall, even though it's all local and there are no chains, but usually it's you know pizza, burgers, tacos things like that, right? Very kind of simple food. Sure. We've got falafel guys that make the best hummus in the city, if not the state, um, as well as their shawarma sandwiches and um, 
uh, falafel, etc. You've got uh, Heaven's Table Barbecue, which has been just solid. They they made last night for yesterday. They made eight slabs, fourteen pounds each of brisket, and they sold out. Wow, and ten pounds of meat. Um, so those guys have been crushing it. Uh, Scratch Ice Cream has been an absolute phenom. Uh, they're such a pleasure, and I'm so glad they have a brick and mortar now. Uh, Frida, uh, which is a concept that kind of spun out of Tess, they're doing sandwiches with seared duck and duck confit. I mean, that's just that's a very high-end craft sandwich. You don't typically see that. Uh, Laughing Taco obviously has a uh, cult following, and um, and Beerline does the best grapes I've tasted around here. So they really are all stars. It it totally depends on what you're in the mood for. Well, well, let's let people know when is it open and where can they go if they want to learn more. Sure. So the address is 2238 North Farwell. Uh, so the, that's the corner of Ivanhoe and Farwell Avenue right next to the Oriental Theater. The food hall is open seven days a week, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And it's CrossroadsCollectivesMKE.com, I believe, if you're looking to learn more about it, if you want to um, you know, get a chance to look at the vendors before you go, you know, window shop before you're, you're ready to actually eat. Hopefully your eyes aren't bigger than your stomach or maybe they are, but, uh, enjoy, I guess. I had the opportunity to stop by on Thursday night and was thoroughly, uh, impressed not only with what the vendor selection, but the design of the space and just how creative it was compared to what has been in there before. Tim, let's head south to downtown though. You have two, two projects that are underway, at least that are public. Uh, you have an office building proposed for North Plankington Avenue and an apartment building uh, proposed for North Van Buren Street. But what's really newsworthy about them is what they're going to be made out of, which is mass timber. Tell me, what exactly is that, and why is it significant? Mass timber is um, is kind of on the same topic of, of old things becoming new. We have mass timber in Milwaukee. Uh, if you head to the Third Ward, you'll see the old heavy timber construction. The way that those buildings were made was by taking large trees and turning them into structural uh, timber beams, columns, etc. Uh, in in semi-recent history, people figured out that you can replicate that by taking smaller pieces of wood and um, cross-laminating them together. And so what that gives you the ability to do is build tall buildings in wood. So what what I'm and, hearing is that it's, it's a man-made product that is, it's still wood, but it's many different pieces of wood that make it well, stronger and more fire resistant, correct? Absolutely. Yep. So it's engineered wood, and um, yeah, you, you mentioned fire, and that's that's oftentimes the first question that we'll hear is, well, how can you build a wood frame building that's tall? The neat thing about mass timber is that uh, it can actually perform better than steel in fire. And and steel, it you know, can melt at high temperatures. It sounds like mass timber. You know, the worst case scenario, which I don't believe has happened anywhere to a mass timber building yet is it would essentially char, and you can look at what happened at the Trinity Church, I believe, or look at what happened to the old-growth timber, which is what mass timber is kind of um, mimicking, where the the trusses at Trinity Church, which unfortunately burned this summer, were still there after the fire. Structurally, yeah, there was a, still a roof. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so there are, there are some pictures um, available from that, and if you look at the cross-sections, you're spot on. The outside is charred, but if you look at the cross-section of the beam, the, the inside of the beam is intact. The other example that we had in Milwaukee was the Button Block building, which is now home to Homewood Suites. And that building went through a pretty significant fire. I believe the analysis was had it been steel, it would have collapsed. And, and the building so, survived. And that was without a sprinkling system. 
so we we know mass timber is safe. Uh, we know it is. It sounds like probably environmentally friendly because I, I believe you hit on that it's lighter than steel. But if I'm an office tenant, what what's in it for me? Or for I'm an apartment tenant, what am I looking at that's better than the alternative? Yeah. So we so I always describe mass timber as having the Tesla effect. You know, Tesla Tesla came into the market and they flipped the EV world upside down by saying that you don't need to make any compromises. We can give you uh, performance and we can give you aesthetics. Oh, yeah, and it's also environmentally friendly, almost as a byline. And that's what mass timber is. So you touched on it. Yes, it's environmentally friendly, uh, not only because it's lighter than concrete and steel, but also because it's a renewable source. Um, and it's actually referred to as a carbon sink. Uh, so because wood traps carbon, if you're using responsibly forested project uh, product, which you would be, you're cutting down the forest and then you're regrowing it again. So you're actually trapping, continually trapping more carbon. Uh, but the biggest thing that, that I think has captured people's imagination are the aesthetics. Typically when we build with, uh, with uh, concrete or steel, we're wrapping that infrastructure, right? We're typically wrapping it with drywall. Whereas with mass timber, you have the option of leaving that infrastructure exposed. Um, and the aesthetic beauty uh, and even some of the health benefits of wood are indisputable. And so what's the timeline on these two projects? I know you were, you were in front of the City Plan Commission for an approval on the Riverwalk on the office building, but what's, what's happening with the apartment building? Actually, we are on the agenda for the apartment building as well. Um, that's going to be happening in the next couple of months, and um, we're in the process of finishing the engineering on it and uh, uh, settling on suppliers, and we hope to start construction in the fall of 2019. And, and who is designing these buildings for Newland? Corbin Associates is our architect uh, for both projects. And they also did the Crossroads Collective, is that correct? Yeah, yep. All right, and let's touch on one last project. Let's head south uh, even more into my neighborhood in Bayview. I've been watching for, I guess, over a month now as the historic, I don't historic is way too strong of a word, the former restaurant in the corner of Beecher and KK has come down, as well as the two houses next to it. Now it seems like the site's being graded. Uh, what's going on there? What's the timeline for what's happening? So, yep, that we, we started construction there. We broke ground um, at the end of last month. That will be a 140-unit apartment complex with 16,000 square feet of retail on the ground floor. It's a, uh, you know, if you're familiar with our other projects, it will have um, the same kind of new land signature features like heated floors, um, modern design, uh, quality fixtures, amenities. Uh, what I'm most excited about is the partial closure and rerouting of Archer Street, which is an odd street to begin with because it doesn't have a sidewalk. And we looked at that problem because Bayview is one of the most pedestrian-friendly uh, neighborhoods in, in Milwaukee. And we thought, what, a, what an odd street. And so we first looked at uh, a concept called a living street, a Woonarf, uh, how to slow traffic down and make it more pedestrian-friendly, and then came up with the idea of closing the west half of that street down and turning it into a pedestrian plaza. And so our building would then be adjacent to an outdoor plaza, which would be adjacent to a park. I don't think such a thing exists in Milwaukee. No, I, I think as I've been watching it, and I heard uh, Jason Corb, the architect on the project, talk about the weirdness of Archer Street, and I never considered it, and I went and looked at it, and sure enough, like the street is even f beyond lacking sidewalks. It is physically built out of a different material than most streets. I think it'll be a really nice addition if you can make that connection to the park, because 
that park, Zillman Park, is really an overlooked park in Bayview. It is, and I think that, and I think it can be a phenomenal park because so much activity has happened around it. Um, KK is one of the strongest retail districts um, in Milwaukee. There's been so much success demonstrated at the core, and now you see that success um, kind of branching out. Yeah, I think that my plan is certainly to reach out to other players in the community and see how we can program that park to its full potential. And what's the timeline? When should the public expect that building to open? Uh, we plan on opening in spring of 2020. All right. Well, that's been Tim Gockman joining us from Newland Enterprises. He's talked about everything from the Crossroads Collective Food Hall on North Avenue to a new apartment building in Bayview. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We have about 10 minutes left in the show, and I want to touch on a few things that are happening kind of all really right around downtown. But as downtown starts to grow, it, it's going beyond the Milwaukee River. It's going across, even going across the Kinnikinick River in some respects, heading down towards Walker's Point of what people consider downtown Milwaukee. And you can start to see that by what's happening with restaurants. You can see it. You know, we talked just with Tim Gockman about his different projects, and his firm is primarily concentrated in the 53202 zip code that represents downtown uh, and now that is, or the east side of downtown, and now you can see his firm branching out. They have projects underway in Walker's Point as well that we didn't talk about. But one thing I've been watching for years, and, you know, I honestly didn't believe it was going to happen, was this historic tavern in Brewers Hill, just across the Milwaukee River and up the hill from downtown towards Schlitz Park, 234 East Vine Street. There was this gorgeous Cream City Brick building that's largely been vacant for, I'm going to guess, decades now, at least a decade and slowly but surely, this bar is being constructed in it. And, well, it opened on this week, uh, Uncle Wolfie's Breakfast Tavern uh, by husband and wife team Wolfgang and Whitney Schaefer. The restaurant contains a number of, you know, twists on traditional things, um, as well as some healthy for you things. Uh, their Facebook page promotes Beer Goes With Breakfast. I'm going to read briefly from a piece uh, by Jennifer Rick, Herb Milwaukee's food and dining writer. Quote, the menu contains some simple classics such as gluten-free fresh fruit parfait served with seasonal fruit, honey nut granola, and Greek yogurt, or a house salad. However, most of the dishes offer at least one twist on a breakfast or lunch favorite. Uh, the restaurant is open 7 to 3 on weekdays, 8 to 3 on weekends, so it's primarily a breakfast and lunch spot. Um, it, if you're like, where is this exactly? It is across the street from what for a long time was Roots. It's now View Milwaukee, but it's up the bluff uh, from Commerce Street. It's got an incredible view of downtown when you step outside. And if you're interested in more, and I can't see why you wouldn't be, uh, you can learn more on UrbanMilwaukee.com Dining, Uncle Wolfie's Breakfast Tavern, now open. A piece published December 17th from food writer Jennifer Rick. And while that's good news that something is opening, unfortunately, in the heart of downtown, something is closing. And I'm going to read from a message posted by the owners of Mykonos Euro and Cafe at 1014 North Van Buren Street. Uh, After 24 wonderful years, Mykonos Euro and Cafe will be closing its doors on Sunday, December 30th. This is a difficult thing to write, but saying goodbye to all of you will even be more difficult. This community that has grown through the loyalty of customers like you will always have a special place in our heart. We are very grateful and blessed for the friendships made here. It has been a privilege serving you all throughout the years. Uh, 
Mykonos kind of has two different audiences. Uh, Jennifer's article notes that it's only open till 10 p.m. now, but a lot of people primarily know Mykonos uh, before. You know, now we have this plethora of Grubhub and all these different delivery services, Eat Street. Th those didn't all used to exist. There used to be few options, and the after bar options, one of them for downtown dwellers was Mykonos for some late night Euro and French fries. But people that came during the day in a perhaps different state of mind uh, probably are more know the place for its house-made baklava. It's been family owned and operated for over 24 years now. So it's it's been quite the establishment on the east side. It's, or not the east side, but east town in downtown Milwaukee. Um, it's a you know wonderful, nice, clean place to stop into, whether it's uh, 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. So it's closing December 30th, 1014 North Van Buren Street. Make sure to stop in, um, get one last euro or one last piece of baklava, depending on your preference. But it's be interesting to see what happens next uh, to the space. I haven't looked deep into the ownership interest of the building or what's happening there, but it's something we'll be watching. And then heading south of downtown again into the very north end of Bayview along the Kinnikinick River. On Tuesday morning, the Milwaukee Common Council approved a financing agreement for Michaels Corporation, the Brownsville, Wisconsin, which is just outside of Fond du Lac-based uh, company that's a utility contractor. Things are going well for them. They're a privately owned firm, and they're looking to add a civil infrastructure division. And that's going to involve lots of engineering and other highly technical talent. And as I quote firm chief legal officer David Stegeman from September, people that quite frankly are easier to recruit in Milwaukee than other places. And so the firm acquired a six acre parcel in various stages that has long time been associated with the Horny Goat Hideaway on the corner of First and Beecher, where the Kinnikinnick River kind of bends and heads south and west. Uh, that site, you know, has kind of been underutilized for years now. And what's happening is Michaels is come in, acquired the whole thing, proposing quite the canvas, a $100 million canvas that they'll anchor with this new civil infrastructure division. It will have in it um, a eight-story office building that'll be the first phase, planned to be 130,000 square feet. Uh, the firm is actually expanding it up to 180,000 square feet almost. They've added 30% uh, to it in terms of size as they've refined the designs and it's being designed by architecture firm Rinka. Uh, and then there's four other buildings planned, a hotel, an apartment building, and two other office buildings. What the public's probably most going to be interested in is the lengthy extension of the Riverwalk that'll wrap the whole site. Uh, the site's bordered on two sides by the river because of how it turns. And with that, where the Horny Goat Hideaway was, there'll be a restaurant there. It's got that Rinka distinctive look to it in the renderings. Uh, if you can think of what like the Oak Creek Town Center kind of looks like, yeah, the Drexel Town Center as it's known, what... Many of Rinka's different projects, often they end up being Bel Air Cantinas or Pizza Man, so stay tuned on what the restaurant could be, although those two would have to be front runners based on Rinka's past work. Uh, tenants are to be announced for that because that building that's at the base of the apartment building isn't ready yet. But what's interesting is what's not happening, and that is Michaels proposed this deal, and they originally were going to get a $1 million cash subsidy from the city. With that $1 million cash subsidy, a cash grant that would essentially, Michaels would have paid their property taxes and had them rebated back to them over the years. Michaels is electing not to take that million dollars, which sounds noble until you realize Michaels is getting something for that or more. They're not being restricted to having to do something. And that is, if any deal in the city takes over $1 million in public financing, an ordinance is triggered that requires the developer to pay f or to hire 40% of the project's work hours to be done by unemployed or underemployed city residents. So you got to go out and find those people. You also have to do 25% of the project's 
um, hourly billing in terms of contracts, like soft engineering costs, like or soft costs, like engineering and architecture through certified small business enterprises, often minority owned firms. Rinka, or not Rinka, but Michaels will avoid all of that through this deal by refusing that million dollars. The city will still fund $7.1 million, but that doesn't go directly into Michael's pocket. Um, it instead goes to rebuilding Beecher Street, something that all Milwaukeeans that hate potholes will certainly like. It goes to building the new Riverwalk segment. Uh, the city routinely funds 70% of all Riverwalk costs in exchange for a public easement, and there's also a contingency cost in case either of those project costs rise, be it the street or uh, the Riverwalk. So interesting to see a prominent firm turn down a subsidy, uh, something we'll continue to watch if it continues to happen. But interesting that the city will actually get more property tax revenue faster from this deal because the project keeps getting bigger as I hit on and the subsidy actually is getting smaller. One thing I wanted to touch on real quick, another Rinka project in the third ward, an apartment building that Rinka is designing for Joseph property development is underway in that, you know, a third ward apartment building, not something that's terribly exciting all on its own. But what's unusual is what's taking place within this building. Uh, developer Robert Joseph was able to land from We Energies a substation. And essentially in the base of this building, right in the middle, is going to be a 30 foot tall electrical substation, concrete enclosed, meaning that someone's going to live above this thing and they're going to turn on their light switch and the power from it's actually going to come from directly underneath them. Substations are used at the end of transmission lines, kind of you're sending all this electricity you need to over these high voltage lines, you need to kind of tamper it down and get it routed out to different customers. That's what happens in a substation. We Energies have been looking for this, a number of develop a site for this, a number of developers have been chasing it. Uh, and it's really interesting to see that it's you know going to be basically hidden inside a building. It looks like a parking garage from the outside. If you're looking for an example of what happens when it's not hidden in a building, Look along West McKinley Avenue near the Pfizer Forum. There's a substation there that is totally exposed. It's something that now with the development kind of happening around the arena, it's going to be, you know, an issue that's essentially a black hole in the neighborhood because they're, they're not very attractive from the outside. Even if you paint them up all you can, there's a nice big fence around it. I'm not sure it's going to look a whole lot better. It might be described as lipstick on a pig. So this project in the third ward, a good sign of how healthy Milwaukee's real estate market can be that a developer can make the cost work to wrap the building. Uh, and then one thing I wanted to end on is the need, uh, the pedestrian observation for the need to embrace adaptive reuse. Earlier this week, the Department of Veterans Affairs gave a tour of Soldiers Home, uh, the complex with the Zablocki Center, the Zablocki Veterans Affairs Center, uh, the hospital out on West National Avenue. It's a historic complex dating back to right after the Civil War, built as one of three places for veterans to recuperate. It, it faces an uncertain future. The old main building, uh, the former, I guess, Zablocki Center, you know, the hospital before there was now the new modern hospital, that's being repurposed as apartments under proposal by Alexander Company. But three more buildings, and you can see photos of them on urbanmilwaukee.com, are proposed for redevelopment, but what redevelopment it is uh, remains a question. Adaptive reuse is the principle where something can be designed, say like a theater, and it comes back as something else and maintains the historic integrity of the building while still finding a new future for it. Look for that and more on urbanmilwaukee.com. Thank you.